Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. How are you? Fantastic. How are I you? I am fantasticer. Great. Yeah. I love that energy. It's the holidays. It you know sure what I'm saying? Is. I'm ready. I need a vacation. Yeah. I'm so burnt out. Yeah. And now we're a little slap happy. It's just, it's the middle of December in cold. It is. Yeah. It's cold here. Um, but yeah, we're about to get some quality time family time uh this is the last episode that i will be releasing before the holiday season i will be taking christmas week off it's like the one week a year that i officially take off so so i don't want to hear it i don't want to hear a single peep out of any any of you just kidding you guys are amazing and peep i peep away peep away you know you know I... what keep on peeping yeah but <laughs> no but uh i Put that i will on a shirt keep on peeping yeah hey check out our merch nice plug um but yeah i will be uh taking that week off and then after that we will be resuming as normal but you know gotta have some quality time some family time we need a day off or you know? something we need a week off or something we get one a year my sister's getting married she is yeah crazy i'm excited it's gonna be fun open bar and everything and also the and also love the, you know the love <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fun to be with family but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Yes, we owe a part two. Yes, it is officially time for part two of the story of the JMS cult. And actually, I don't think that I told you what JMS stands for because I thought that it was just Jung Myung Suk, his name. But it turns out JMS is Jesus Morning Star. Really? Yeah. So it's JMS, Jesus Morning Star. But it's a Korean cult? Yeah. So why is it in English? That's a very good question that I don't have the answer to. I assumed JMS was just that would be his logical. name. Right. But then I saw that it was Jesus Morningstar after already, you know, releasing part one. And then I was like, ugh. <laughs> right. But, but no, I yeah, I didn't think. Well, it turns out that JMS has a lot of different names, like all over the world, in whatever country they're in. I don't know if like every country has a different name for it, but I do know that Australia calls it Providence. Okay. And like there are other names okay, even so than that. So this is interesting. Yeah. Anyway, why don't we jump into part two? Yeah. And if I recall, Jung just went to jail, kind of. Jung was just arrested. He did not go to jail. Okay, he should be in jail. I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap. Yeah, he, he should absolutely be in jail. but Like a decade ago, but yeah, whatever. Well, yeah. So why don't we get started? We left off our story in June of 2003. Jung was placed on Interpol's red notice list, and after police and prosecutors didn't seem to care very much about tracking him down in Hong Kong, Exodus took it upon themselves to go to Hong Kong and find Jung. Exodus members who had a camera with them found Jung in the woods surrounding his property in a mosquito net with his pants down and three female followers in swimsuits. After being arrested, Jung hired a lawyer and paid $100,000 for bail and was released. He then immediately fled to mainland China without a passport. Interesting. So that's, that's a very quick recap of the very last things we talked about in part one. 
So now we're going to move on to October of 2003. Jung kept in touch with his followers through videos that he sent not only for damage control to deny the very solid evidence against him, because the video that Exodus captured of him was with his pants around his ankles, and that's pretty damning, but also his video to his followers was to incite violence against Exodus. And he did that while wearing an all-white suit and telling his followers that Jesus spoke to him. It was at that point that Jung waged a war against Exodus. He said in the video, quote, I was betrayed. Disloyal evil people cannot exist. There is no war without casualties, and some killings are absolutely necessary. This is what the Lord told me. Wow. Pretty clear. Where he's inciting a holy war. The mosquito net incident was a very big shock, but not because his followers were upset that Jung was found pantsless with his female followers, confirming all the allegations against him, basically, but because they couldn't bear to watch their lord getting beaten up like that. Because if we remember, one of the Exodus members, like, hit him because he tried to, like, get the camera away from him, so he got hit. And so seeing that video, his followers were like, I cannot believe someone laid hands on our messiah. So his followers became hostile. Jung told them that they would exterminate Kim Do-young if necessary. They had to exterminate him to protect the Lord. But it wasn't just Professor Kim they wanted to pay. It was also the other members of Exodus, and specifically the ones who had been a part of that Hong Kong mission. So JMS members started hunting down Exodus members, and they started with a law student named Kim. He was the one who had been operating the camera in Hong Kong as Jung was arrested. Kim had begun receiving threatening calls that first were coming from another city, but then they began coming from the payphones at his school, which was when he started to feel like they had been closing in on him. Uh, yeah. Wait, how do they know that it's him? Well, I'll explain that later, but they basically were able to find out all of the information on all of the Exodus members. That's crazy. Yeah. And this is what year? 2003. Yeah, I mean, it's not like everybody's info is on the web. Yeah, know? not like it is today. That's no. for sure. So Kim came home to his apartment building one day, and it's like a really small building with a door and a motion sensor light inside when you walk in. And then the stairs just go up to the apartments. There's no, like, you know, person at a desk or anything. Like, it's just door and stairs, and that's it. And as Kim walked through the door of the building, he noticed that the motion sensor light hadn't turned on. He thought that that was strange, but figured that the bulb just needed to be changed. He started walking up the steps and knew that there was another motion sensor light that was supposed to turn on on the second floor. However, that one wasn't working either. And that's when someone rushed down the stairs at him, wielding a steel pipe. They began swinging the pipe at him to attack him and hit him in the head, but thankfully he had his law textbook and he was able to use it to shield his face. But as he tried to defend himself, two other people came out and tried to hit him. All of the attackers were only aiming for his head, so they were trying to do some real damage. Kim knew he had to do something, so he grabbed the attacker in front of him and rolled to the side to throw both him and his attacker down the stairs. Kim ended up rolling all the way down the stairs and out the front door of the building. The three attackers followed him outside to see that they had been illuminated by the street lamp outside of the building, and the moment their faces became visible, they all fled the scene. So they just left him lying on the street. They didn't get a hit in? They did. They definitely did. But they were trying to, like... Kill him. Basically kill... I mean, potentially kill him. And 
once they were out in the open and there was light on their faces, they fled. So they were hoping to kill him in the stairway, probably. Yeah, he got lucky. Yeah, it was a very good move on his part to get them all outside. So he was just left on the ground in pain. But thankfully, he survived and his injuries weren't that bad. But this was only the beginning for the JMS members. They wanted to get Professor Kim. And he's got to be the most prominent member. Yeah, he was the guy who started Exodus. Right, so everyone knows who he is. Yes, they definitely do. They thought he was the devil. They thought that he was out to get their messiah and he was the devil. And Professor Kim knew that. And he took necessary precautions to try to stay out of their line of fire, if you will. He stopped seeing friends and family and told his family that these people were nuts and he was very worried they would try to target them because of him. He had to tell his parents that he wouldn't be seeing them for a while and would constantly call to check in on them. One evening, Professor Kim was on the phone with his father as his father had been driving home. The conversation started as normal. He asked his father where he was and was told that his father was almost home. The two continued talking as normal until suddenly during the call, his father suddenly screamed out and very frantically asked, what are you doing? All the while, Professor Kim is screaming back to his father, asking him what was going on if he was okay, but he got no response. He hung up and tried to call back a few times, but was never able to get through. It turned out Professor Kim's father had pulled up to his house to find men in his driveway waiting for him with steel pipes and metal baseball bats. They walked in front of his car and also behind it to keep him from being able to drive, and one of the men jumped on top of his car and started breaking his windshield, while the others started breaking his windows. Professor Kim's dad opened his window just a crack and asked them who the hell they were, but as he opened the window, one of them stuck the metal pipe through the crack and began bashing Professor Kim's father in the face. It was too narrow of an opening to actually swing at him, but that didn't stop them from jabbing him with their pipes. He was sitting inside the car still, so the lower half of his body was fine, but these men beat Kim Do-young's father's face and chest extremely badly. He didn't know how long the attack had actually lasted because he fell unconscious, and the men fled. Thankfully, his other son found him not long after the attack in his car, but the image of his father after the attack would be burned in his mind forever. He said the left side of his father's face felt squishy, and his father had a hole in his face the size of a baseball. A hole? Yep. Oh my god. It, this was a really bad attack. That's brutal. Yeah. When he was first brought to the hospital, doctors were surprised that he was even alive because of the massive hole in his head. And his doctor said that all of the veins on the left side of his head had been severed. They broke almost all of his facial bones, and because of that, one of his eyes would never close again, and his mouth would forever be twisted to one side. His face is completely changed because of this attack. That's so fucked up. But this is just how violence escalates. It's just, if I'm Kim, and you maim my father like this, you almost kill him. I would really want to hit back. Yeah. You know? And he did for a long time. Want to, I mean, like... In the beginning, he wanted to kill oh, yeah. Jung. But I mean, now? Oh, I mean, I mean, In he, the beginning, you wanted to kill him. What about now? What yeah. about his followers? Absolutely. You but know? he also knew how dangerous these people were. And part of him was probably scared at this yeah. point because they're coming after him and his family and the other members of Exodus. 
and they're obviously like very violent in that yeah and coordinated and they know they seem to know things that other people might not and yeah i mean it's not like it's going to calm them down if you start killing them no or responding in any way right professor kim's father was just lucky to be alive after this attack after all of this pain and trauma professor kim's dad said that he was actually happy because if he hadn't been the one who was attacked then it would have been his son and he was happy that his son didn't have to experience that i mean what a guy yeah that's his perspective that's crazy the love of a father i guess yeah that's just admirable yeah absolutely professor kim felt extremely guilty after this attack and for a long time he wondered why he even went after jms in the first place because clearly this man is unhinged but at the same time he wondered what kind of person would even do such a thing even gangsters in korea understand how precious family is and they don't go after people's families like they'll kill you they'll attack you but they're not going to go after your dad they're not going to touch your family at all that's the information i received the point was that jms was worse than gangs in korea Evidence that was collected by police later revealed that JMS's followers had been planning to attack Professor Kim, but there was no way for them to find him, so they decided to attack his father instead. There were actually active prosecutors in the JMS cult who were able to pull information on all of the Exodus members, like where they lived, who their family members were, where their family members lived, their license plate numbers, everything about them. In a notebook the police confiscated from the attackers were Professor Kim's entire family's personal information. Why? Because they wanted revenge. No, but why is that even accessible? Because a prosecutor who was a member of of JMS apparently had access to it. Yeah, but I'm just thinking he probably got that from a police report? Potentially. I don't know how he got it, but that's how they got the information was through this member who had like clearance or something. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, but clearance to what? That's what I, I want to know. I like, don't know. How the know. fuck is this out there? I mean, even if you were a part of a police raid, they shouldn't be publishing personal information about your fucking family. I agree, but it just was what it was. They got the information about people's families and other Exodus members. That's insane. Yeah. The JMS members had even figured out a way into Professor Kim's parents' house and bugged it from top to bottom. They had planted listening devices everywhere and had been listening in on his parents for God only knows how long. Wait, so they bugged it, but they didn't attack them? For a while, I guess they were trying to figure out like where Professor Kim was. Oh, and so okay. they bugged his parents' house. And then when that didn't work, they just attacked the father. Dude, this is like next, like they're bugging people's house, like they're the FBI or something. Yeah, it's intense. Because this is so much more coordinated than anything... They were the brightest cult. people in Korea. I know. Remember? Like, they're oh, all know. from, like, the Harvard of Korea. So it's like, they're not stupid. They know how to do things. They're very smart. Yeah. And, and clearly like, organized. Clearly. And it's not like it's small either. No. There's tens of thousands of members. Yeah. I don't know. In, in a weird way, it's like an army. This is just, this is unsettling to me. There's this many people who can be kind of seemingly persuaded into anything. They were able to accept a lot, clearly. They didn't believe after so many allegations and so many things coming out about their leader that he was a criminal, a deviant. Yeah, but (laughs) there's video evidence. 
Yeah, but they think what, that did the he devil say it was AI like in 2003. No, he said that the <laughs> devil was after him and, you know, they needed to test their loyalty basically. Okay, but the, you didn't deny the validity of the video. I I can't tell you the logistics behind what the cult members were thinking because I don't know, like I'm not in it. But anyway, that brings us to 2006 and the creation of the Hong Kong X-File. While Jung was on the run, he began asking his female followers to send him nude photographs and videos of themselves. For a lot of these women, it started out as them taking photos for him in a dress, but then they would be asked to strip down to their underwear or a bikini until they were told to take nude photographs. Once Jung received these photos, he would then grade them and send a report back to Korea. And basically taking off all of their clothes would earn them an A rating, whereas wearing a bikini or a dress would get them a B rating. And if they only got a B rating, they were told they had to do better for the Lord. This is so fucked up. Yeah, like, take what the like, hell is going on? Take I, like all the people who care the most about their grades and tell them they got a B. It's so sadistically effective, probably. But yeah. I'm thinking that at least he's not actually physically assaulting them. Oh, he was. Well, if not... they're in Korea and they're sending him photos, he must not be physically there. That's true. Yeah. the Most of the women who sent him photos and videos had never even met him in person. But he was using the photos to basically choose the next woman he wanted to assault. So he would get the videos oh. and, and pictures sent to him, and then he'd be like, okay, invite her. And he would send, send the next woman on a flight. Oh, my God. How much more can you dehumanize people? He's a monster. Seriously. He is truly a monster, and we know this. Like it's a catalog. Yeah, it was. The girls were told the more pleasing their photos were, the more blessed they would be by the Lord. And that escalated to women being nude with one another or they would do things to themselves because they were helping the Lord with his loneliness while he was away, is what they were told. Like I said, most of the girls in the pictures had never even met Jung in person, but he would buy them sexy lingerie and tell them they had to send him a picture since he gave them a gift. Netflix actually made a docuseries about JMS called In the Name of God, A Holy Betrayal, and in it, they have some of these photos and videos and it's just a very difficult watch. I will warn you about that. But these women would like sit in frame fully nude with a photo of Jung and call him honey and like lick the photo. And it was Ugh. really gross. Or it was like multiple women fully nude, either in a bathtub or sitting together and calling out to Jung that they love him and for him to enjoy. Like it was weird. They also played recordings between Jung and one of his followers after he sent her lingerie. And on the phone call, she thanked him for the gift. And you can hear him say, when a man gives you underwear, it's like you basically gave him your body. That means I love you, so don't tell anybody. Giving underwear as a gift means we're already like lovers. And then he asked her what she would do if she were there with him. And she says, I wanted to say hello to you. And he says, and? And she says she'd listen to his sermons. And again, he's like, and? And she tells him she would pray with him. These women truly had no idea what was going to happen to them if they were ever alone with him. Even though most, if not all, of these girls felt uncomfortable taking these photos or videos, there was far too much pressure on them to make their messiah happy. One of Jung's male followers was actually in charge of... I believe sending these photos and videos to Jung 
And at first, he had no idea what he was doing because he would be sent like a disc with files on it or like a poster tube with photos in it. And it was his job to like open it up and check it and then send it off. And once he opened up these multiple images of nude women, he knew that something was very wrong. He wanted JMS's other followers to see these files because clearly all of the allegations against Jung had been true. And he was like mind blown. He's like, oh my God, because for so long he had completely believed that everything that was said about him was a lie. But as soon as he saw these photos and videos, he knew for fact that it was true. And he thought that if he uploaded these photos and videos, that the other JMS followers would have the same revelation that he had. Wow. I mean, I guess seeing is believing. Yeah. So he was convinced that everyone would start to understand the gravity of the situation and they would leave the church. So he uploaded all of the files in the disk to an online drive and sent them to Exodus as further proof of Jung being a monster. Once Exodus received these files, they saw how extensive Jung's collection actually was, and the media dubbed it Hong Kong X-File. So that's where that came from. Through these photos, Jung had selected a few of his young female followers to be sent to China to visit him. They took a car from Beijing and far outside the city along dirt roads until they came up to these huge gates. And inside the enormous gates was a huge building where Jung had been staying. They had been college students from Hong Kong, and they were also members of the JMS Taekwondo demonstration team. He had initially invited them to China, telling them they would be performing a Taekwondo demonstration. Because he had already been caught in Hong Kong once before, he was being very careful with his security. So these girls were not told where they were going, and they were just basically driven out into the middle of nowhere. And in the building where he had been staying, there was a bathhouse downstairs in the basement where Jung forcibly washed the girls and then took them through secret passageways to a dry sauna in the building where he raped them. The attack that one of these girls endured was actually violent sexual torture. And it was awful. She had a scalding hot water hose forced into her body, and she was told if she resisted, he would rip off her genitals. And when she left, she reported the attack to authorities. She initially didn't know where the hideout had been, but thankfully she was able to piece together where Jung had been hiding and where the building was located. But before they got to him, he fled once again. And at the same time, while all of this is happening, on March 2nd, 2006, Jung sent his followers in Korea a video of him sledding and that he had a Christmas party. I mean, what do you say? Nothing. It's just awful. Things were quiet for about a year, when in 2007, Professor Kim received a call out of the blue from the Ministry of State Security of China, telling him Exodus needed to come to China as soon as possible. They were planning a cultural exchange event between China and Korea, and they believed that Jung would be in attendance. And they were right. They attempted to arrest him at this event, but he was able to get away. However, thankfully, 17 days later, he was finally arrested in May of 2007 and extradited to Korea. So he was finally caught. Wow. But it's 2007. He's been doing this for how long? Since like 1980. Almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of unthinkable. Yeah. Somebody could get away with this for so long. Yeah, he was really good at getting away. And he had a big group of people behind him, helping him get away and also supporting him through everything. Yeah. 
But almost immediately after he was arrested, Jung started acting very strange. He was moaning and shaking and covering his mouth with his hands as if he was panicking and losing his mind. He, of course, denied all of the charges, but also, as he was being questioned, he said he did not believe he was the Messiah. Instead, he kept repeating that he was simply a, just a pastor of a church. He frantically claimed that he never touched anyone and he was just the leader of one church, not the Messiah. He would slap himself and make weird noises. But that wasn't enough to keep him out of trouble. Because Jung was facing a long list of sexual assault allegations, fraud, and embezzlement of church funds charges. It was up to his followers to pay for his legal counsel. One of his followers even sold his house to pay for his attorneys and legal bills. He tried to get Jung's charges cleared, but when that didn't work, it was up to him and other JMS followers to approach victims of Jung to get them to settle or bribe them in exchange for them to not appear in court and to just be silent. Dude, this is the mafia. Yeah, it is kind of like that. This is terrible, but it's just so unique to me because I've never heard of anything like this where everyone is essentially part of organized crime, but they don't necessarily know it yeah. or believe it. They think that they're like saving the world yeah. while they're doing it. Like the disconnect between what they think they're doing and what they're actually doing is so large. Yeah. And I don't know, like I feel like most people who are in organized crime like know what they're doing but these people yeah. don't yeah like if you're in the mob you know you're in the mob yeah and they believe that they're part of some higher calling they do but really all they're doing is helping the jung rape as many people as possible yes and also like trying to kill other people who are getting in his way yeah so they would basically go to victims' homes and tell them they would give them a billion won or two billion won, or they would even give them a blank check that they could write any amount onto to buy their silence. They also used intimidation tactics and threatened the victims and their families if they didn't stay silent. One of the victims did take the money, but the remaining four never gave in. As one of the victims testified in court what he had done to her, Jung suddenly cried out, I can't breathe while making gagging noises and he collapsed on the courtroom floor. He started foaming at the mouth and convulsing. An ambulance was called, and when paramedics examined him, they said that nothing was wrong with him. His blood pressure wasn't even high. Everything was normal. So the prosecutor called him out and said, looks like you're just putting on a show. Yeah, I was going to say, quite a performance. Yeah. At this point, some of his followers began questioning their faith in him because he was such a coward and pitiful Jung was found guilty of sexual assault, rape, and forced and quasi-forced molestation, and sentenced to six years in prison. Are you joking me? Unfortunately, no. During a 2008 interrogation of Jung, he was asked if he had been with three naked women, and he answered that the women had been naked, but they had towels covering their lower half, and they pulled down his pants, and he did hug each of them once, but he never penetrated them. He was asked, since he preaches chastity, then doesn't what he's been doing go directly against his doctrine? And he said, yes, it does. As he was being questioned, Jung got down on his knees in front of the prosecutor and started begging to be forgiven while he was like rubbing his hands together in like a prayer hands kind of way. And he was just acting crazy again. I mean, it seems like he's just trying to do anything to help himself. Yeah. They asked him if he was the Messiah and he told them that he never said he was. 
and he began slurring his words, and everyone in the room found what he was doing incredibly strange. Jung even denied ever calling himself the Messiah on the stand. So some of his followers were extremely hurt by this, because the reason they had worked so hard for him and given all of their money to help him was because he was the Messiah, and he said he was, and now he's claiming he's not? It was like a slap in the face, times like a million. Some of his followers started to wonder if Jung wasn't the Messiah, then what were they? They had given everything to him, their hearts, their loves, bodies, their money. They followed him for decades without getting married, and now he's saying that he's not the Messiah? One of his followers who had been in the JMS photography department was so distraught that she jumped off her apartment building, taking her own life. This was devastating to some of his followers. Some of them just chose not to hear it. They're like, eh, I don't think so. But to some of them, it was literally the end of the world. And it's just interesting to me that the end of the world was him admitting he's not the Messiah. They believed with everything in their being that he was because he told them he was and he gave them like reason after reason to believe him. And now he's admitting on the stand that he's not and he never even claimed he was. Yeah, I get it. But also all of the rape. But they didn't believe that was true. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, it's easier for us to sit here and be like, why'd they believe him in the first place? But they were so deep in it. I mean, think about dedicating decades of your life following a person that you truly believe is the Lord. And you do everything he says. You never get married. You devote your entire life, all of your money. You sell your house to help him with his legal fees. You wake up at like two in the morning and pray to him every single day. And then on the stand, he says he's not actually the Messiah and he never claimed he was. Yeah. I mean, I guess it'd be like 10 times worse than getting cheated on in like a 20-year marriage. Way worse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean. That's kind of what it would be like. Like the rug is pulled out from under you. Yes. A very massive rug. For decades. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's different when you put yourself there. But yeah, from my perspective, it's just like none of that penetrated. But this, okay. Yeah. In 2009, another judge sentenced him to 10 years in prison. After all of the trials that he was facing, I guess there was like two, he is facing 10 years in prison. I mean, come on. I don't know how their legal system works, but... Doesn't seem like long enough. Seems seems short. Yes. For five victims, four victims that testified. Yes. And although many people wished he had gotten a longer sentence, some Exodus members hoped that because he was behind bars, he would just die in prison. But even if he did get out, he wouldn't be able to be a religious leader anymore because JMS would dissolve. It had to dissolve because their leader is behind bars for sex crimes. How could anyone continue to follow this man? But JMS continued. His inmate number was 1178. He said, if you pray at one in the morning, at one in the afternoon, and then at seven in the evening, your life will be eight times better. And on top of that, just to also throw another random number out there, the total length of the Korean peninsula is also apparently 1,178 kilometers. This is weird. It's been weird. It's been weird. This is his thing. He likes to explain things with random numbers and make them sound important, but they're not. Yeah, no, but like, I feel like you get that number and you just like find something. Right. Yeah. That's what he was doing. 
the majority of his followers still believed that everything he had been found guilty for were all lies, and it had been the victim's fault that he was in there. Throughout his time in prison, JMS still gained many new followers all over the world. One of his followers, Liz, had just finished year 12 when she was approached at the Canberra Centre in Australia. She said she was on a gap year, so she was looking to travel, and she was working part-time and was also thinking about what she was going to do with her life. She was in a really good position to be susceptible to psychological coercion, and they definitely took advantage of that. Liz was given a survey while she was out with friends, and on the survey it asked if she was religious at all, and she answered that she was, which was when the two people who approached her asked if they could email her another survey. She agreed because she was out with her friends, and she knew that if she gave her email, these people would just go away and she could go on with her day. But she ended up taking the second survey that they sent to her, which was more in-depth about her religious beliefs. And after that, they asked Liz if she would be interested to join a group of artists who were creating a Christian art show. They would be painting a bunch of subjects as representatives of women in the Bible. And that sounded really fun to Liz. So she joined. And from there, she started doing Bible studies with them, which is when she began learning JMS's 30 lessons, and they slowly but surely began brainwashing her. There wasn't even ever an art show. That was completely made up. So we're familiar with this tactic, right? We find someone who's beautiful and young, and then we tell them there's this fun event that they can attend, and then we get them with Bible study and we indoctrinate them. So that's what happened to Liz. Yeah, an inch at a time. Amy was also recruited to join Providence Church, which is, like I said, what JMS is called in Australia, while she was on her way to meet a friend for a game of bowling. And she said all of a sudden somebody tapped her on her shoulder and she turned around and two girls were smiling at her. They asked her to do a survey and, you know, so on and so forth. So enticed by faith and friendship, both women eventually moved into cult houses where every aspect of their life was controlled. They were told to wake up at 2 a.m. every day to pray to JMS, take cold showers, among other things. They began deteriorating physically and mentally. Their new quote-unquote friends introduced Liz and Amy to the controversial aspects of Providence Doctrine, including the concept of faith stars, which was another term for becoming a bride of God. And Liz and Amy were quickly identified as these brides of God or faith stars, and their photos and profiles were sent to Providence headquarters in South Korea. But before Liz and Amy joined the church, Maple Yip joined the church in 2012. Maple was born in Canada in 1994. Her parents had moved to Canada from Hong Kong, and for a while things were good until the family had to move back to Hong Kong. In 2012, Maple was living in Hong Kong and was a sophomore in high school. Her life was very unstable at the time. She was being bullied in school, her parents had been fighting a lot, and she felt really lost. However, one day, she went to the mall with her sister and was approached by some really nice college students. She had a really nice conversation with one of the girls, and they exchanged numbers. She kept getting calls from this girl who wanted to meet up with her, and for a while, Maple just ignored these messages, but after a while, she was worn down. She was depressed and didn't have anyone to talk to. So eventually, she reached out to the college student who had been trying to contact her and asked her what the meaning of life was and what love means. She started talking to Maple about the Bible. God created man with a purpose, and JMS would say that his purpose of creation was love. 
Maple began listening to Jung's sermons about love, where he said that God's love was a million times bigger than a parent's love for their child, and she couldn't even believe that such a love even existed. And that was how she ended up joining JMS. She suddenly had a group of loving people around her. She had friends and support, and she felt like she was finding her place in the world. She knew that JMS was in prison, but she was told everything people had said against him was fake, and he was in there unjustly. Before joining JMS, Maple would drink and smoke with friends, and when she confessed she lived her life like that, she was told to live purely for God because he loves her and she was his bride. To Maple, she felt like she had been born again. She was pure once again and could start over. Another female member asked Maple to go swimming with her and some other girls at a hotel and told her to bring her bikini. While they were swimming, she told Maple they should take some photos for Jung. Maple was a bit surprised, but no one else seemed phased by it, and they all thought it was a good idea, so she agreed. It was for the Lord, who loved her. He was still getting photos of his followers even while he was in prison. And when he particularly liked one of them, he would have them visit him in prison. Wait, so he gets a phone and visitation? Not a phone. He would have photos sent to him, like oh, actual physical. physical photos, and then he would have them sent to him to visit him in prison they don't keep a track on what he gets i guess that was fine for him to receive okay you know child porn it wasn't child porn she's 15 she's a sophomore in high school yeah but she was in her bikini she wasn't naked i guess so i thought that they got naked never mind no this is just in bikinis for now and so maple was asked to visit jung and when she met Jung, she was so moved that she cried. There had been an apartment building next to the prison that Maple stayed in, and every day when Jung would come out to the yard to exercise, she would wave a mop from her balcony so he knew that she was there. And one day he even wrote Maple on the wall with his finger, and again she was so moved that she cried and prayed to the Lord that Jung would get released soon. Amy and Liz were also followers who were chosen to visit Jung in prison. They were told that him being in prison for 10 years wasn't because he raped women, it was because he was saving all of mankind's souls. Right. Sure. Liz's mother and father had actually found some of Liz's papers about the church, and they were very concerned after reading them, so Liz's father actually drove to the cult house that she had been kept in and demanded to see his daughter. But when he got there, Liz's leader told her to hide in the cupboard. Another leader opened the door and pretended like they didn't speak any English, nor did they know who he was talking about or looking for. And when he left, they packed Liz into a van and put a blanket over her and drove to Sydney because the next day she would be on a flight to Korea. So they're trafficking her. This is so disgusting. Liz's parents didn't even know that she was overseas because she had told her parents that she was going on a trip to Perth. And it was on that trip to Korea that she went to visit JMS in prison. Liz was 19 at the time, and JMS was in his late 60s or early 70s. He sat behind plexiglass and blew kisses at her. And before coming to the prison, Liz and the other girls she was with had sent him the bikini shots that he had requested because she also was told to send bikini shots. And he also sent her a lot of sexually suggestive letters to Liz. And she was very confused about this because why would the messiah be saying these things to her yeah why 
Throughout his decade in prison, a parade of young, beautiful, obedient women came to visit him, anxiously awaiting his release. Thankfully for Liz, she ended up on a plane back to Australia, and while she was there, she actually had to be hospitalized due to how skinny she had become. Liz had been struggling with an eating disorder before joining the JMS church, and because the brides of God were encouraged to punish themselves, Liz was taking cold showers and waking up at 2 a.m. and was allegedly barely allowed to eat anything. So when she got back to Australia, she was so close to death that she had to be hospitalized. And while she was in the hospital, she was still very brainwashed and believed that once she was better, she would get out and go back to the church. But she also knew that she was very sick, and if she didn't get help, then she would die. So it was kind of like a a hard thing for her to grapple with because she was so terrified of being outside of the church because she had been told time and time again that the devil was going to come after her, but she also knew she was going to die. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad she got help. Mm -hmm. And... She had been able to be released from the hospital, and her doctor recommended that she go live with her mother, who could take care of her. And again, she felt really anxious about that, but also she knew that it was the only thing she could do if she wanted to survive. And while she was home, after a few days of recovering, her mother brought in cult deprogrammer Rick Allen Ross to their house and staged an intervention for her. She was so terrified because the cult had warned her about this specific scenario. And to her, it would be like spiritual death. But over the course of three days, he was successfully able to deprogram her and she left the cult. What did he say to her? I I wish I knew. Three days? Yeah. That's it. He's good at his job. That's amazing. I want to know what the program is or how it's done because it just kind of seems impossible. You know, when somebody has a belief tied to their identity, it's really hard to get them to give that up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm sure some people are harder to deprogram than others. But thankfully for her, because she was already in such a vulnerable position, he was able to help her get out. And Liz didn't know that Jung was a serial rapist until after she left the group. Because she had been told that if she Googled the leader's names, it would be like spiritual suicide. So they would just plant so many phobias in these members' minds about doubting their teachings and how lethal that is to them spiritually. But with her mother and Rick Allen Ross's support, Liz found the courage to begin speaking out about her experience. And JMS took this personally, as if one of his brides had been betraying him. So Liz got out, but Amy wouldn't be so lucky. She instead returned to South Korea and stayed at the JMS compound in Wolmyongdong, where JMS had returned following his release from prison. So in 2018, Jung was released after serving his 10 years. He would have to wear an electronic anklet for another seven years, but he was out. And Jung compared his electronic anklet to Jesus being on the cross. And following his release, Maple quickly became one of Jung's favorites. And over the 10 years that she followed JMS, she did a lot of different jobs. He gave her the name Jung Soo Jung, and she was made to sing and perform at their big church events. But after a while, she asked if she could stop singing, and then she was made to be a weather anchor for their news show. And she did modeling and street missionary work, and she moved up in the church, serving as a probationer and a pastor. She was basically famous in the JMS church. 
And she remembered a time when Jung once wrote a letter to her from prison telling her, when I get out, you can sit next to me on the golf cart, which would have been a huge deal. And years after his release, he talked in a sermon about fulfilling his promises. And that day he told Maple she could ride with him. And that made her feel like he was the Lord because he remembered what he had said to her after so long and he kept his promise. Like this was huge to her. She felt like her efforts to do everything she possibly could for the Lord were finally being recognized when one night she was requested by Jung to spend the night in his residence. She was told by Jung's right-hand woman that Maple would be spending the night to take care of the Lord. So she showered, she got in her PJs, and she set up a blanket on the ground in Jung's room because that's where she believed she would be sleeping and laid down on the floor. It was kind of weird and awkward at first, but she would do anything for him. But that night, Maple would be raped for the first time. She told Jung's right-hand woman what had happened, but she was told that she had been left there alone on purpose so that she could be loved by the Lord, and that's what the Bride of God is there for. And over the next few years, Maple was continuously raped by Jung. She was too scared to say no. Looking back on how devoted to him she was, she said she feels like an idiot. She used to pray for three hours every day, begging God to help her love Jung. She felt like she was the problem, but she hated everything about him, his personality, his looks, and she prayed desperately to God to let her love that old, disgusting man. Maple began to self-harm because she wanted to punish herself. Amy, who had been sent back to Korea from Australia, learned she would finally get to meet JMS in person. Amy had never met Liz during her time in the cult. However, she had been told that she was there to replace Liz. They told her she was more beautiful and a better version of Liz, and she had to do better than what Liz did. But JMS would actually end up taking out his anger he had for Liz on Amy. And when she was called in to see JMS, she was so excited. She was brought in by Maple, who at the time was like his assistant, and also worked as an interpreter for the members who didn't speak Korean. JMS called her over to him, and when he put his hand in her underwear, she immediately looked over to Maple with panic in her eyes. Maple told her it was okay, and not to worry about it, just like the other women had done for her in the past. They told Maple it was fine, and now she felt like she had to take on that role. Amy reported what had happened to her, to one of the female leaders, but that did nothing. Amy was then educated, quote unquote, by this leader who told her that she was now his wife, so it was fine for a husband to do that to his wife. She should be thankful because it was a blessing. And for a while, Amy was able to justify it. It was extremely confusing for them the whole time because what was going on went directly against the doctrine they had been taught. Around that time, Maple had been contacted by another JMS member who told her that Jung had raped her and assaulted so many of his other brides, and they urged her to get out of there because they knew how close Maple had been to Jung. Maple was 26 years old, and every day since Jung had begun abusing her, she thought about ending her life. She knew she needed to get out of there, but she also knew she had to be careful. So she told the leaders that she missed her parents since she hadn't seen them in a year, so she would go home to Hong Kong for just a short trip. But the night before she left, Jung assaulted her one last time. She had actually just gotten her COVID vaccination, just to put things into perspective about the timing here. And she managed to record audio 
of the assault on her phone to get evidence, which they actually played on the Netflix documentary. And it is revolting. They played the whole tape. I don't think they played the whole tape, but they played enough of the tape. This is a very difficult documentary to watch. Like it is not an easy watch by any means. This was a very scary thing for Maple to do, but she wanted to stop him from ever doing that to anyone else. Thankfully, Amy also managed to get out. She got back to Australia, and I believe after another year of living within the cult's walls in Australia, she did finally leave. And in March of 2022, Maple, who had gone to Hong Kong for five months, returned to Korea to attend a press conference about her time in JMS. She was so terrified and anxious about speaking out that day that she got physically sick. On her way to the press conference, she got severe stomach cramps and began throwing up so much that she had to go to the hospital. That's how badly her body was reacting to knowing she was going to speak out about JMS. The producers of the documentary who had been with Maple and were filming her asked if she wanted to just go back to the hotel and skip the press conference, but she insisted that she needed to do it and said, even God won't be able to stop me. I love that line. Yeah. She did manage to make it to the press conference and she joined forces with Amy to tell their stories. Professor Kim, who was also involved, said that at the time he discovered the JMS church in 1995, Maple would have been a baby in diapers who couldn't walk. And now she was in her late 20s sitting at a press conference as another victim of sexual assault. This is how long he's been doing this. After finishing the press conference, Maple learned that videos of her and her family had been posted online and she was being ripped apart. They blamed her for not leaving the church sooner. And because she didn't, they said her story wasn't true. I mean, this is disgusting. Of course you can sit there and judge Mm -hmm. based on your experience, but to be in the place that they were to get to the point that they are now is just, I don't think you can understand that unless you go through it. Yeah. And, you know, people online are trolls revolting anyway. Yeah. It's like they lack basic human decency and empathy. Yeah. Or just those are the ones you pay attention to. Yeah, all the supportive messages probably go to the wayside and you see the few that are like, you're lying. Right. And that was, of course, very difficult for Maple, but she doesn't regret coming forward. She wants to stop JMS and to save any potential new victims from having to go through what she went through. And in the Netflix documentary, they interview a lot of JMS survivors. And after Maple came forward... Many of them felt really guilty for not coming forward themselves because they were, you know, maybe earlier victims of JMS. And because they didn't say anything, now Maple is in the position where she's been assaulted and all these other women have been assaulted. And they blamed themselves for not, you know, saying anything sooner, which is just also very sad, as if any of the blame should be put on these women. Like, that's obviously not the case, but they felt extremely guilty because they felt like they should have done something. Yeah, well, I mean, he went to prison. He did. And came out. Yeah. Yeah, you you just really can't blame yourself. No, absolutely not. And the difference between in the past, you know, victims coming forward and saying things about what JMS did and Maple's situation was she had audio recording of the actual attack. So that's pretty convincing evidence. 
yeah, I, I mean, if you didn't have anything like that, I don't know if it would have changed anything. Right. Unfortunately. Amy was also harassed and threatened when she went public with her allegations. Maria Nacelli, president of the Lord's Hope Church in Sydney, which is a faction of Providence, sent a video message to Amy demanding that she stop attacking the church. She said if she didn't stop, she would expose Amy for every quote-unquote unethical and immoral thing she's ever done. And if she didn't heed this warning, it would be detrimental to her future life and career. I mean, it's nothing new. No. It's disgusting, but... Yeah. Maria Nacelli has since kind of retracted her statement once she was put under pressure, but she still put it out there in the first place. So. Yeah. I mean, what would Jesus do, really? That's a compelling think, question. Yeah. I, I don't know Jesus myself, but I would imagine he might not maybe do that. Probably not. I'd put money on it. JMS now faces 17 charges of sexual assault against Maple and five against Amy which makes 22 counts of indecent and sexual assault with more victims now coming forward. Jung hired another lawyer and continued to claim his innocence. However, on October 4th, 2022, he was sent to jail by the district court's order due to the allegations leveled against him by numerous women. Is this in Korea or Australia? In Korea. Okay. As of now, there still hasn't been a trial, but there is a lot of evidence out there now thanks to Maple who recorded her attack, which is played in the Netflix documentary, along with multiple other audio and video recordings showing evidence. Like, this is a pretty loaded documentary. Um, And several of the alleged female groomers are also facing charges, one of which is JMS's right-hand woman, Jung Jo-un. Jung Jo-un recently came forward to admit her part in helping JMS recruit young women with nice bodies, and she also admitted Jung Myung Suk's sex crimes and emphasized that cleaning up past mistakes as soon as possible is essential. She claimed that she tried her best to prevent Jung from committing sex crimes by not letting women get close to him. However, this claim appeared to be the opposite of everything Jung Jo Un had stood up for before, which is why it's not a very big surprise that a former JMS member said her claims were far from the truth. And in fact, they testified that she was the devil that directed the victims to Jung. The former JMS member said she's the one who sent victims to Jung Myung Suk. When women were selected, they had to go through a personal interview with Jung Jo Un as the last round. And she determined if you passed. And if you did, you went to visit Jung. Another former JMS member also testified against Jung Jo Un, stating that in the past, she helped the cult leader escape from the law. When Jung Myung Suk needed to flee the country, Jung Jo Un was planning on studying abroad, but canceled her plans when JMS asked her not to go and to stay with him. She escorted him around numerous countries since 2002 and gained Jung's trust. Another JMS member testified that she even heard Jung Jo Un defend and protect her leader. When people showed up at Jung's vacation house to arrest him, Jung Jo-un was heard cursing at them, saying, you're going to be in trouble if you dare touch my teacher. After gaining Jung's trust with her loyalty, Jung Jo-un was handpicked by him to become his replacement while he was in prison for the 10 years that he was away. During that time, Jung Jo-un gave lectures and preached about Jung Myung Suk's greatness at JMS churches nationwide, causing the cult to grow despite the absence of its leader. 
In a recent anonymous post, a former JMS follower of seven years claimed that Jung Jo-un seemed like a qualified successor of JMS because of her preaching skills and dedication. So they're like, this woman is not innocent. This woman is a monster just like him. Not, you know, she wasn't assaulting women, but she was helping him in every way. So basically a bunch of former members are saying that Jung Jo-un's sudden confession is bullshit because in the past she was extremely vocal about her support of JMS and saying how innocent he was while at the same time orchestrating the meetings. It makes you want to puke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the only reason she's doing this is because she's facing jail time. Right. That's what the followers, that's what the former followers are saying. Like her confession is really convenient with its timing. Like she's not coming forward like these women who were being interviewed in the Netflix documentary who are expressing genuine remorse and talking about their real experiences that are traumatizing. She's coming forward when she's under fire and being like, well, yeah, I helped him, but I I think it's important to get past that and to... As quick as possible. Yeah, to make it right. Yeah, I mean, you had two decades to come forward. Plus More than that. Yeah. Thankfully, at this point, Jung Myung-suk is in jail. What about Jung Joon? To my knowledge, she's not in jail, but at least he is. Do you know how long his sentence is? I mean, he's got to be like, what, 80? I don't think there's been a trial yet. Oh, like, he's been a trial. awaiting trial kind of thing. Wow. And this is kind of sad. Uh, Professor Kim's father ended up passing away in August of 2022. However, Professor Kim published a book about his 30 years of anti-JMS work. So that's good. I have to imagine his father lived quite a long time after the attack. Right? Yeah. It was in 2003? I believe it was 2003. Yeah, and he died in 2022. So it wasn't due to the attack. It was just old yeah. age, I assume. Yeah. Um, but it's a shame that he can't see him go to prison. Yeah, well, I mean, he already saw him go to prison once. That's true. That is true. But, you know, it's his son's like life work at this point. Yeah, to like see justice but he, actually delivered. Yeah, but he clearly loved his son and I'm sure was proud of him. And like, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, he took a deathly beating for his son. And yeah. was happy about it. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. that is where the story kind of ends at this point. Like the cult is still happening. They, they think that at this point it might dissolve more than it had in the past when things like this are coming to light because of the Netflix documentary and because of Maple's audio recording of the actual attack because before there wasn't such solid evidence as that like the the his followers could kind of turn a blind eye to certain things mm-hmm. but i feel like this one is pretty damning yeah the other ones were too but i mean to someone who's severely brainwashed hopefully this will help more members see the truth yeah but the other thing is that it just seems like cults never die you know i even think the one from waco is still going on is it not i do believe so yeah to some degree yeah it's just they'll break off they'll find a new leader yeah they you know they change a little bit yeah yeah, change a little bit you recycle the teachings and it's kind of a never-ending pipeline of people who feel lost mm-hmm. and are religious and get caught up in it and it just keeps going Yep. in some form. You just kind of really hope that it becomes less relevant. I mean, is it still the premier organization of all 
Korean universities. It seems. I don't think so. Yeah. But there is still a presence in like multiple countries all over the world. Like it's not gone by any means or even like significantly smaller than it has been in the past. Is there even like any charity work that they do? They claim they do. Like, uh, so one of Australia's news outlets did a, a documentary episode as well on JMS and they focused on Amy and Liz's stories. Um, but they went around to not only like the Providence leaders in Australia and like kind of confronted them, but also went to Korea and like went to the Walmayongdong compound and they toured it. Like they somehow got a tour of the compound and they like, conf they confronted Jung's lawyer and they asked him a bunch of questions about like, you know, how they can deny these allegations. And basically they just danced around all the questions. He's like, no comment, like to everything basically. Um, but they also confronted, Wow. yeah, they also confronted um, this woman in Australia who was like a part of like the charity aspect of it, supposedly. And they were asking her questions and she did the same thing about like how she can't comment on anything. Yeah. Interesting. That's, well, I guess my point is there's no redeeming quality. Like Absolutely like, not. I would be surprised if there was even $1 that was like actually given to charity from this organization because the entire thing is built off of his followers' wallets. <laughs> like yeah. it, he's taking money from everyone. And he oh, even yeah. started the quote unquote church by having his followers go out and ask people for money, telling them it was for charity. But then it bought him a Mercedes-Benz. Anyway, that yeah, is a horrifying story. But Maple has done incredible work. And it's awful that she had to live through what she lived through. But she is helping people at this point with yeah. what she was able to record. And it's very brave because yeah. it's clearly a scary thing to do. This is like a step beyond brave because it's you really are risking violence because yes. they have done that in the past. You know what happened to Kim's dad. Mm -hmm. You know the tactics they use. Yeah, and and Amy, Liz, and Maple were all threatened. Like they are constantly being yeah like contacted by JMS members and being like, stop doing this or yeah, else. So <laughs> it, it's no joke. No, absolutely not. And still they went forward and didn't back down and told their story and i'm sure that they that their actions saved a lot of people yeah and i don't know i can't believe she thought to record that's that unimaginable but and the fact that she had gotten her covid vaccine that day like really got to me puts how recent this is yeah yeah but i mean the fact that she did that and it's really just undeniable mm -hmm. and you know you you listen to it i'm sure yeah, it's I disgusting beyond it belief is. yeah it's just, you know, it, there's no denying that. And there's just such a visceral reaction there has to be. Yeah. And what's so terrifying about this Netflix documentary is that apparently that's like the tip of the iceberg. Like there are so many other heinous things that happened that couldn't even be put in. Oh, I'm sure. Anyway, this is yeah. too much. It's too much. It's too much. Uh, why don't we end the story there? Because there's... It's a black hole. It's awful. And you could talk yeah. about it forever. And I'm not trying to do that tonight. But why don't we try to shift the energy a little bit and we'll get out of that space and we'll move over to something a little bit lighter. <laughs> How can I transition from this? <laughs> can we? Can we do it? I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. 
Why don't we have a palate cleanser? Tell me something good. My good thing is that the fam is coming in this weekend. Um, I get to see my cousins from out of state. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very excited to play with them and see them, see what's going on. They're That's young. That's good. And uh, get to see my uncle and aunt. Yeah. So I can't I'm wait just, to see them. I know. Yeah, so, it'll be really fun. Yeah. What's your good thing? My good thing is less wholesome than that, but I'm also excited for that. But it is uh, definitely the dinner that we had tonight. Oh, yes. You cooked some dish that you that I sent you on Instagram <laughs> that was just like so tasty. It was like gravy with onions and like salmon and gnocchi and I don't even know. It was really tasty. It felt like I was eating a hug, if that makes sense. Yeah, a warm hug. And it was like gravy, but it wasn't. It's just like chicken broth, onion, white wine, and Dijon mustard. It was so good. It but was confusing. Yeah. That was definitely my highlight of my evening. And then I finished it off with a little bit of chocolate, which love that. Hard to beat. But anyway, I hope you all have a very happy holiday. Eat some treats. Spend some time with friends and family. Listen to a Christmas carol. I don't know. Live it up. Or a Hanukkah jingle. I don't know. Whatever you or got going a on. a Kwanzaa whatever too. holiday you got. Going, I don't know. You just do it. Just you just get celebrate a holiday. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at not today underscore podcast. Check out our merch at nottodaypodcast.myshopify.com. For a bunch of bonus episodes, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you'd like to share with us and possibly hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because it makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. 